Welcome to At The Whiteboard with Ruth and Nicole, the podcast for people who want to crush it at work. Each week, we'll talk about the latest tips, trends, and tricks to help you love your job and to help your boss love you too. It's like having a personal coach whispering advice into your ear, but without the whispering. Okay, let's get into this week's episode. TV show, we would be making royalties now. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I think, at least back in the day, that's all they needed was five years or five seasons. Oh. And you would be, that's why all these, like, sitcoms and things wanted to make it to five. Because then the actors are getting paid forever and they can oh. run it in syndication. Wow. So, send us your royalties. Yeah. As Anybody wants to syndicate our podcast. <laughs> How to generate passive income. Right. You know what I was thinking? It's about fab fit fun. No, I was making fun of people oh. jumping into an ad. I thought you were going to say something really fun there. All well, right. I was going. I, it would make oh, it was I kind see. Of fun. Like I get it. Like in a podcast like, when they have sponsors. Yeah, yeah. If you'd like to we sponsor use us. Zip Recruiter <laughs> or Tommy John underwear. No, that's men. Uh, what's another one they commonly use? Fab fit fun fab is fit always fun. one. Tommy John. Oh, um, the guys on. Um, Pod Save America, they do like sheets. Oh, what are they called? Like bolo or something weird oh, sheets. Interesting. Yeah. Zip Recruiter is huge. Um, I don't know. That tells you how good they are that we don't remember them. <laughs> Rothy's, the shoes that I really you am really obsessed with. I really want those shoes. I really want those shoes. Uh-huh. Rothy's, send me a pair and then we'll put an ad in our podcast and mm-hmm. all 80 people will buy the shoes. We've had a big week, a big last seven or eight days. We have had a big week. I spent a lot of time recovering from the last seven or eight days. Yeah. It was fun though. It was fun. We launched Whiteboard Women. Mm -hmm. We had this amazing event with the most beautiful, heartfelt speakers. I was just so delighted. Our event space was beautiful. The food was beautiful. Everybody who contributed was so supportive and really into what we were doing. It's true. Little plug. Whiteboard Women is a safe space for women to support each other when dealing with um, gender bias issues at work or progressing your career. So we have a community page on um, Facebook and uh, we have four events a year and this was our launch. And yeah, we had panel speakers and a facilitator, beautiful space at Urban Acorn and we redid our photos. We had yes, new we had- photos so you'll see lots of marketing material with new look. It was a really, really yeah. amazing fun day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved it. it but I have busy. spent a few days recovering from it. Yeah, and it seems like a good time to launch this series, which I'm facilitating with you. Yes. Um, because I think it fits into what we've been talking about. So yeah. we are... Where's my... Oh, that is my copy. That is We copy. are uh, going to be talking about Brene Brown's new book. It's not that new. It was last year when I looked it up. It came out in 2018. But her latest book called Dare to Lead... And we're going to, in the next seven or eight podcasts, we're going to kind of do a book club. Yeah. On Cover each section, about. talk about what we think is mm-hmm. neat, what we think it's relevant, you know, how we've applied it maybe differently. You know, sometimes you just need to think about it through a different lens to see how it makes sense to you. Yeah. Um, what we like about it, what we don't like about it. 
Yeah. And I mean, Brene's awesome. I, mean, she, I think she has a Netflix special out right now, so you she can does. watch Brene on a Netflix special. I think she became initially famous through a TED Talk. She did. She did a TED Talk on, on vulnerability. And um, that she actually, um, in this book, uh, when you read the beginning series, she talks about how she learned to be a speaker. And uh, she was going out on stage and people would say things like, oh, this is a really tough crowd. It's all like CEOs and COOs. And she would panic. And what she's done now to ease that, and she said experience takes away the fear, but she's always a little nervous. But what she does now when she sees an audience is um, she doesn't picture them naked. She said that doesn't work for her. But she pictures them stripped of their title. Which like is just their as people. Armor, as people. So she says, I picture this one, you know, the grumpy-faced woman with her arms crossed. I picture as a third-year-old, a, th- a third-grade kid in school trying to make a point. Or I picture this man who has been giving me a hard time sitting next to his therapist. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> excuse me. So she has some really cool ways to look at that. And for, so for those of you who haven't heard of Brene Brown, um, she's got a 20-year career in research. So she calls herself a researcher and a storyteller. Yeah, and I think that's what I really like. Like, I love her voice and her cadence. Oh. And the way she tells a story yes. is very, very captivating. It really is. Um, she says that a story is data with a soul. Isn't that cool? Because we we often talk about people um, bringing you along their story so yeah. that you can understand. They don't just drop you in the middle and try and sell you something. They bring you along. Or they don't just drop data on you. They put soul into it. Yeah. So she says she's a storyteller, and she has spent the last 20 years researching. Uh, she's a research professor at the University of Houston. Um, she's written five New York Times bestsellers. And um, she spent her time researching vulnerability, um, empathy, shame, particularly. These are, I mean, the first thing that struck me as I was, I, I listened to about half of it on Audible before, and then we decided to do this. So yeah. I went back to the front and kind of the first thing that struck me was these aren't common leadership terms. No. Shame, vulnerability, like they don't really, they don't match up with what you typically hear as like coaching and managing and leading with authority and delegating and all that stuff there. It's very different language. And so it can be uncomfortable. I even found myself uncomfortable and I'm not uncomfortable by the content in a way. Like I felt like I was just like, Oh, I love what this says, but I'm, I'm struggling to see how, how I could teach it or use it in a corporate context where the language wouldn't, So the one word that she's added to that, well, I don't know if she's added to it or I've just noticed it. So if she talks about vulnerability, shame, and um, what I say, courage. empathy, yeah. courage is the other word. And that's where the leadership piece comes in. So um, the other, the, the first book that I read of hers was called Rising Strong. And it, t- and it's one of, it's a component of this book as well, mm-hmm. but it was a whole book on um, recovering from grief, recovering from or dealing with pain in your life. And it was very helpful for me after my parents died. And the phrase that I learned from her then that is in, I think, most of her books is that you rumble with something. Yeah. So you rumble with grief. You rumble with vulnerability. You rumble with, and it's like you rumble with another person. Yeah, you, it's like tussling in your head. It's, it's like 
how do you deal with it? It's hard and it's messy and it's sticky. <laughs> I always just think of like, I mean, at the time it was called the WWF, but I think now it's called the WWE, but like, let's get ready to rumble. Fair. What if you, and if I think she would laugh at that and she would go, yeah, you have to get ready to rumble with whatever. Yeah. So, um, in it, she, when she wrote this book, she was, uh, in the introduction, she says that she wants, first of all, to pass on all her knowledge, all her knowledge in one book that you could read in a flight from New York to LA with, ah, a, yes. with a little bit of a layover, she says. Yeah. And, um, she decided she wanted to see better leaders. So, you know, dealing with all these C-suite leaders, leaders in quotes, air quotes, she says she can look at a room of people that are executives and not find one leader. And she can look at a room of individual contributors and find, you know, a dozen. I love, I love as she's telling this whole story um, about that she had to go do this whole talk and she looks out, peeks through the curtains and just sees all these people in suits and starts to panic. And she's like, I guess the guy that she's another colleague that's also going to be training or delivering a speech says, Oh, what's wrong? And she's like, gosh, well, who's out there? And he's like, Oh, well, they're all like C-level. Yeah. Right. She's like, he's like CFOs, CEOs, CEOs. And she's like, Oh, I heard that as C-level, yeah. like on the ground, <laughs> like salt of the earth. S-E-A level. level. And so she's like so, you know, frustrated now because she doesn't know how she's going to talk to these fancy leaders. And I thought that was, you know, as a first part, and she doesn't actually explicitly say it, but like there's a perfect uh, demonstration of someone who's being vulnerable, right? They're telling you something. They're telling you how scared they were. They're telling you how they completely misinterpreted a word. Absolutely. Right? And, and, And still kind of got through it. And so, um, before we get into this, I wanted to, um, share with people that there, what you want to get out of this podcast is up to you. You just may be interested in listening while you're doing the dishes or, you know, driving, driving, whatever. TTC. Yeah. So if that's it, then cool. You like our tone, even though I have a sexy smoker's voice from my cold. Um, you may also want to think about your approach to leadership. And if so, or, or your, your team's approach at work. And if so, there's a ton of resources for you. So if you were to go to Brene Brown's website, brenebrown.com, um, there's one of the, at the top menu bar, I think in the top right, it says Dare to Lead Hub. So you click on that, and it has resources up the wazoo. And it, the first thing it has is like 15-minute video from her talking about the book and how to use it. It has a leadership assessment you can do for yourself. Oh, wow. And so what I would say is while you're listening to us and if we ask questions or talk about things, be really honest with yourself on whether you have gaps in certain areas or strengths as well because she talks about that. There's one part where she somebody says, I love this stuff. How do I throw out everything I've learned and start fresh? And she says, you don't because there's no throwing out. There's... What are you going to keep that's working really well? We talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is a gap? What could you do better? So on the Dare to Lead lead Hub, I just wanted to tell people um, that, first of all, she defines leadership as anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and having the courage to develop that potential. I love that. I think that's amazing because that could be 
the seven-year-old on the school playground at recess who sees the potential in the new kid yeah, and goes over and gets them. So <clears throat> on the hub, you'll find a leadership assessment. I did it. And it, um, there's, we'll talk about this in a minute, but there's four categories and you answer. It took me three minutes to do five, maybe. <clears throat> and it scored me on what she calls rumbling with vulnerability, braving trust, living into your values and learning to rise. And they talk about each of the areas where you could, um, where you're demonstrating a skill, where you're demonstrating that you could improve a skill. So, and it's really kind of fun because as soon as you do this, you have to click. It says, we don't collect this data. <coughs> Excuse me. If you don't print it, it's gone. So there's no risk of your personal information being stored anywhere. So that's a really cool thing. So I did that. Um, the other thing that it has is read along videos. So <coughs> remember when you coughed <coughs> in a whole pod podcast, it's yeah. going to be me today. Excuse me, everyone. Um, she did a thing at LinkedIn headquarters and at different places. She was working with LinkedIn and she goes through different sections of the book. So we're going to do the same sections of the book cool. and she answers questions and has talking points. And then she has a workbook that if you want to do this, <coughs> excuse me, with your team or yourself, you can use the workbook and it has, you know, post-it notes, use post-it notes and give yourself permission to do this, this, and this. So tons of resources. I've used them to sort of block out how we're going to talk about stuff or how I'd like to at least talk at the high level about the different points. And, um, people really can, if they want to get into this stuff and work with it at, at work or on their own. So, um, yeah, so that's that. Uh, so, in this first one, we're, all I want to do is go through the, the introduction in the book. That's it. Easy. That's why I told everyone <coughs> that they only had to read to page 15. That's what Ruth said to me. You exactly. only have to read to page 15. 15 pages, Nicole. You can do it. But what would you say? She starts off talking about leadership in 2020 and beyond. What does it look like? What do you think leadership looks like or is doing well or isn't doing well or needs to do for 2020 and beyond? I think the, 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 the growing concept of virtual work and working from home, mm -hmm. how do you become a impactful, charismatic leader when you may not be in the office anymore? You're not having the experience that we had. Yeah. Nine to five every day, yeah, go to the office. Day. That's what it is. <coughs> um, yeah. You know, what is that experience going to be like now that you've got this virtual network and yeah. people are starting to work from home. People are starting to work from co-working spaces, all of those things. How are you going to be leading successfully in that kind of environment? It's very yeah. different. We know that, um, for instance, um, <clears throat> the new generation, the generation Z or Z, they're the most connected generation. And, um, oh, did we lose our picture? Hopefully not. Case there. there it is. Um, they're the most connected generation. They spend uh, 10 plus hours connected in some way. They call themselves um, the always online. No, always on generation is their mm. title. They watch, um, they use their smartphone more than any of their other devices, including television. And they don't watch TV. They watch YouTube. Interesting. They also make their decisions based on global patterns. They really 
it's the last generation that will have Caucasian as their majority. And so they are very global in looking at <clears throat> what to do, how to do it, and how to do it better. Yeah. I guess now that you kind of triggered me a little bit too is thinking um, the, the concept of inclusivity and inclusive language and just given how much the world has changed in the last 10 years yeah. um, of, of how we need to have conversations and talk about things um, and be inclusive and use inclusive language and just speak in a different way. Yeah. I think that's also going to be a big I love what you just leadership. said. You did two things. First one, you said the what, and then you moved to the how right away. I'm You're so a smart. bit of a genius. <laughs> <laughs> but the what then being inclusive, um, cons- considering all those different things, and the how, having the conversations. What do you think is preventing leaders from having those conversations? Fear. Why don't they do it? Mm-hmm. They're scared. They don't know how to have the conversation. I mean, everyone, everyone right now is in a bit of this thing where they're not quite sure how to say things. Yeah. Right. I, I was Whether talking to my dad. Or anything else. Right. I was talking to my yeah. dad the other day and he's like, oh, can I say that? Is that racist? Is that, you know, or so- something happened and, you know, I said, oh, dad, that was sexist. You can't do that. And he, you know, he's really grappling with what can I say and what can't I say? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's asking though, which is good. Yes, I'm not sure he's shifted <laughs> totally, but he's working on it. He's yeah. working on it. Um, yeah. Well, there's. Um, so what? What I want to go do in the introduction. Um, they spent, I believe, seven years digging into leadership and um, what the the concerns are, and she came up with ten different. Um, concerns. And let me tell you, I was on the struggle bus because I was, I'm doing it on audible because I have the most, it it is hard. I normally do really well on audible, but I struggled when she was getting to like lists of 10 things, right? I was having trouble parsing in my mind and trying to remember the themes. That's one of the things and we should talk about that. Maybe just before we close every session, what are the things that we struggled with in reading it? Because, um, we were talking before we started recording this, that, and I was interested that you struggle with reading this book and not because of the content, but because of the language or the way Brene Brown yeah. writes. And I mean, the amazing part on Audible is that she's, she's narrating yeah. it and it's her voice. And like I said, she's got this amazing lilty tone mm-hmm. and her voice is just so interesting to listen to. Mm-hmm. But I, I struggled to like, say like, okay, what's, what's the, the sound bite? What's the... Give me, like, remind me again what you were getting at and then what the point is and how do I do it? Like, I I just, and maybe that's the value we can provide for people here. Is, I hope so. Right? Um, like, give me the I did So when I read right. Rising Strong, it was the same. I almost put it down and I decided to keep plugging and then something clicked for me and I found it so valuable. And as I mentioned earlier, I think reading Brene Brown is like reading, I don't know, Shakespeare or... <coughs> excuse me, um, some other author, classic literature where you have to get into their cadence, you have to get into their pattern of speech, their language and their vocabulary. Yeah. And once you do, you have to like stick with it. Yeah. And once you do, the puzzle falls into place. Um, I, I think that Renee is not a normal author, just like she's not a normal speaker or normal anything. She comes to... <laughs> Sorry. <coughs> I don't know if we can edit this. 
<clears throat> she comes to conclusions from eight different places instead of one. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's not a typical, not a typical business book. It's not no. written in this like da 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 fashion and. You know, that's how my mind works well, these days. Like, well, I that's what to... surprised me because you and I think very differently. And I thought that I was a very linear thinker. And because of that, you would approach it and get it. But so we'll, we'll talk about that. But I just want to tell you what the 10 things are. And then you tell me what you think about it. So I okay. don't have to talk as much. Yeah. Um, so this, after all the research that they talked to, and you can find in the introduction all the details... They asked people and then call it, called it together the 10 behaviors and cultural issues that keep leaders, um, that get in the way of leadership in organizations globally. Okay. <clears throat> so the first one is they avoid tough conversations. Oh my gosh. Include, I'm not even done. Oh, including <laughs> giving honest, productive feedback. Wow. Talk to me. Do you agree or disagree? I mean, I have to say that's the number one issue we have, you know, not issue we have with clients, but that our clients yes. have. Um, and it's sometimes misdiagnosed as like, you. basically people will say, we need communications training. And really, they want to do that. Number one, have tough conversations what was the second part of it? Uh, and give feedback. And give feedback. <coughs> um, and I would say <coughs> that is by far one of our favorite topics to teach. One of our favorite um, and most impactful trainings that we have is teaching people how to do that. It is stuff that I use every single day. Yeah. Um, in it, she says that the consequence is a lack of clarity. Duh. We, you know, if I'm not going <laughs> to... Give feedback or talk to people. <clears throat> Diminishing trust and engagement. Why do you think that's a consequence? Diminishing trust and engagement. Um, well, you don't trust someone if they can't tell you the hard things or have a good conversation. Like, they look at you with a Cheshire cat smile the whole time. Everything's great. Yeah. Everything's, everything's good. Great. No, everything's I don't need good. anything any help. Everything's fine. Right? You're but in the background, but in the background you're not doing a good job and so you don't yep. you don't have that. She also trust. says there's an increase in problematic behavior, including passive aggressive behavior, talking behind people's backs, pervasive back channel communication, which she then calls the meeting after the meeting. So no one's able to just say the thing, say the uncomfortable thing. Yeah. And then the, gosh, I felt it even in the call we had this morning and I was like, Ooh, like I, I want to say something, but I feel like it's going to be uncomfortable. And I was like, how am I going to do this? Mm. And I literally just sat there and went, if we don't address this now, this is, this could go very, very poorly. So Mm. let, you know, and I just took a second and thought, what is the best way for me to say this and to frame it in a yeah. kind and and to open yourself up to getting, you know, having a negative response, but doing your best in that moment, yeah. being vulnerable, as she says. Yeah. Um, I have struggled a lot in her books of understanding what she means by vulnerable, being vulnerable. She says in one of her talks, if you look at TED Talks and things that she's done, being vulnerable is not uh, telling people how much it hurt to get a bikini wax. <laughs> this doesn't mean being oversharing and <laughs> telling people about the fight you had with your partner. That's not being vulnerable. <clears throat> being vulnerable is opening yourself up to the possibility that this is going to be a difficult conversation and that it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And putting forward an idea 
when you're not sure if people are going to love it. All of those sorts of things are being vulnerable. Yeah. I, you know, I, maybe if I think of probably, um, an example that I've often used with you, um, was an example. I was at a meeting and, um, your boss. So at that Mm -hmm. time, my boss's boss Mm -hmm. had like completely gone, (laughs) gone rogue and basically said something was going on that was not happening. And I was in so much shock and I sat there with imposter syndrome and said, I must be the biggest, stupidest idiot on the planet because I, I am so wrong about what I thought was happening here Mm -hmm. because I never heard that there is no way that I'm right and she, big boss lady, is is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I didn't say anything and I got kind of ringed out by my team who felt like... They wanted you to be their leader. They wanted me to be their leader <clears throat> and, I, and I, I didn't stand up to them. I just kind of went like, uh, uh. Um, and you said to me, you've got to just say it. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time you are right. You've got to just say it and take that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that basically was a lesson in being vulnerable, being vulnerable and having tough conversations and tough conversations can happen up, down and across. It can happen anywhere with anyone and it can be so many things. And it didn't have to be tough. No, it didn't. I mean, in the moment I felt like I was just like being crushed under like a bunch of cinder blocks because I felt like everything I knew about this project I was working on was now wrong. But all I had to do was say, hey, can I, can we just have a clarifying moment here? Here was my understanding and you've just said this. Help me understand. Well, and so the part of it is the how. How do you have a difficult conversation? How do you open yourself up and be vulnerable? You don't correct your boss's boss, right? You say, is it possible that? Yeah. And I we clarify. Yeah, and I think that I mean that's the big lessons I guess I've learned over these past few years is how to be vulnerable yeah. in a way that doesn't increase conflict or um I mean I personally have no issue being vulnerable at this point in my I don't and know. Yet I still do. I was talking to you before about a client that I'm on a rant about lately. And um I think that we have to decide which relationships are important and worthy of being vulnerable mm-hmm. and where at least I, I feel I need to expend that energy building relationships that are important to me. And I don't want mm-hmm. to have that. <laughs> Brene Brown says we need to embrace the suck because she yeah. says that it's, it sucks to have difficult, awkward, vulnerable conversations, <clears throat> but the result is so valuable. <clears throat> I'm not really that interested in maintaining this relationship more than I have to. So for now I'm saying nothing and biting my tongue, but I'm also not her leader. Yeah. So the second thing, um, so there's a list of 10. The second one is that leaders today, rather than spending a reasonable amount of time proactively acknowledging and addressing fears and feelings that show up during change and upheaval at work, we spend an unreasonable amount of time managing problematic behaviors. So instead of spending time being proactive during times of change, we don't do anything and then we deal with bad behavior later. Later. So in change management. Yeah. Again, probably the second, interestingly enough, right? Probably the second biggest thing we hear about people not dealing well with change, mm-hmm. not adapting well with change and people constantly asking us for change management training and they want, you know, they want like some 
tools and tactics and skills and formulas and frameworks and, and they want some strategies all to do after the change yes and what she's saying here is why aren't people spending time being proactive acknowledging fear and feelings that people have i remember that one guy <clears throat> that i talked with who is working on a massive change at a hospital in toronto they're building an entire new hospital for this one department or a building <clears throat> and he said there would be no need for change management because everyone is very happy to go to the new building. That's ridiculous. Of course there's a need. All right. Third one is that there is leaders today are demonstrating diminishing trust because they have a lack of connection and empathy with people. So I'm not sure what, uh, we haven't gotten into One more it. time. See, even as oh, you're really? reading these snippets to me, <clears throat> I struggle to like hone in on the point. Leaders have, a, there is diminishing trust of our leadership today because they have less connection and empathy for people. Okay. I just reframed it. Yeah. So, you know, we're not, we're all connected to our phones and we're not as connected to people. Uh, as you've talked about working environments that are work from home or global or around the world, how do you build trust with people? Yeah, think about like you're just texting instead of being like, hey, Jim, how was your weekend? Do you think you can get me that TPS report by Monday? You know, now it's just like um, send a message on the, you know, on the chat or on the Slack and or how do whatever. you demonstrate like empathy? Jim, TPS report, question mark? Yeah. How do you demonstrate empathy when that's how you're communicating with people most of the time? Emojis? Oh, right, right. Emojis. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, number four, not enough people are taking smart risks or creating and sharing bold ideas to meet changing demands and the insatiable need for innovation. Yes. We talked about this when we did our, um, discussions on mat leave and parental leave and how organizations today seem to be missing the boat in bringing people back successfully when they return from from parental leave their organizations are seeing it as a burden how do i bring someone back they've missed a year their career should needs to slow down now i'll just sit them somewhere and find something for them to do instead of thinking instead of thinking as an opportunity to innovate yeah there is a lot of I, I i don't know if it's just that this climate an economic climate a climate of you know if you're not getting returns then you're going to get fired uh, if this doesn't happen, we're not going to get fired. So um, people's motivations are based on the likelihood of success. Yeah. So I'm motivated to give an idea if it has a high likelihood of success. Yes. Because if it doesn't, I might get fired, right? If it doesn't have financial return, I might get fired. Are you looking at my puppy? Yeah, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at Ruth's dog. I think she's behind the curtain. <clears throat> oh. Maybe she doesn't know how to get out. Now she's probably looking out the window. Maybe. Um, there was a study that we did, again, as part of our uh, Whiteboard Women podcast series that said men, uh, sorry, women are likely to apply for a job if they meet 100% of the criteria in the job description. And men will do it if they meet 50%. So taking risks, innovation, opening yourself up, being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, number five is that 
Um, when processes fail, we get stuck and we define ourselves by the disappointment and the failure. And instead then of figuring out how to fix it, we spend too much time and energy reassuring people who are questioning their value. So this means then that instead of um, getting looking at failures as lessons, moving on it, fixing it, we don't do that. And instead we coddle people and, and reassure them the whole time that even though the process failed, you're still valuable. And I think what she means is there needs to be a balance there. Of course, people need to feel valuable. They need to get through change and upheaval with yeah. feelings, etc. But let's look at the processes. This is what I love. Let's look at the processes and um, what happened and fix it. A lot of organizations yeah. don't fix stuff. They just let it keep happening and then keep ensuring that people are feel yeah. valuable. Um, and then this one we talk about all the time, number six. Too much shame and blame, not enough accountability and learning. Yeah, a lot of finger pointing and, you know, what was that one? <laughs> one of our favorite clients, like, you know, they said, you know, people are on the chopping block, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was it? Um, deadwood. Deadwood. We've got to get rid of the got deadwood. Got to get rid of the deadwood. <clears throat> and they had uh, absolutely zero accountability for making sure. We also had another client not too long ago who... Um, six months ago, gave his staff an instruction of how to approach report outs every month on what they were doing, and they're not doing it, but he never asked them to do it. So six months later, he said to us, it's not working. Uh, it's not working because you haven't held them accountable. Yes. Yes. Um, number seven, people, this is exactly what you were talking about. People are opting out of vital conversations about diversity and inclusivity because they fear looking wrong, saying something wrong, or being wrong. Yeah, it's a scary, like, yeah. it's scary. It is. You know, I, I, you know, for example, I don't know, I mean, there's now so much language on sexual identity and mm -hmm. um, transgendered. I don't know all the words, and I'm frightened to say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to be insensitive. I literally don't know. So, you know, I li it behooves me, it behooves as I love to, to say. Ask. It behooves me to ask or it, behoo it behooves me to be vulnerable with that yeah. person and say, hey, I don't know the right the right words here. <laughs> Daisy knows the right words. She's ringing the bell. Oh, my puppy is ringing. I just got the poochie bells <laughs> to try and train her to ring the bell when she has to pee. I just put them up yesterday. She doesn't. She's playing with them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's that being vulnerable to say, hey, I don't know the right words to say. Help me say the right things. Help me understand what yeah. the right thing to say is instead of just avoiding the conversation altogether because it's too scary. I think this sentence is a really good one from her. Choosing our own comfort over hard conversations is the epitome of privilege. Yes. yes. It corrodes trust and moves us away from meaningful and lasting change. To me, this is... This sentence, <laughs> even though it's hidden in number seven on page nine, yeah, it's is huge. the whole book. It's huge. It's huge. Um, number eight, when something goes wrong, individuals and teams are rushing into ineffective or unsustainable solutions rather than staying with problem identification and solving it. Everybody tries to fix everything. Quick, do this, do this, do this. And they don't know what it is. So she says, when we fix the wrong thing for the wrong reason, the same problems continue to surface. This is process improvement. Root cause analysis. Root cause analysis. She says, it's costly 
and demoralizing. So here's another one. I'd like to know what you mean. You think she means by number nine. Mm. Organizational values are gauzy and assessed in terms of aspirations rather than actual behaviors that can be taught, measured, and evaluated. Oh, um, this is like those things where people have their organizational values list listed and they're like, a whiteboard is fun and honest and we act with integrity and uh, we're green. Yeah. But don't actually measure those things. Yeah. Imagine so that. Say your organizational value is to have fun. But what does that actually mean? Yeah. What like, does it mean? Describe it and, and measure it. And so for your employees, and let's say your one of your values is that uh, our, our team acts with integrity, how do you measure that? What does that mean? Yeah, and do you hold people accountable when they don't act with integrity? Mm -hmm. I think all these things are uh, interconnected. It's a lot. It's a lot. These are big it's 10 things. You could write a book on each of these things. Yes, you could. The last one is perfectionism and fear are keeping people from learning and growing. I think that's probably like the epitome of, of anti-vulnerability, right? Yeah. I need to be perfect. I'm a leader. I am the boss. Um, let me get the screen back. Oh, don't stop calling me. Um, I'm doing something. I'm very busy. My husband is called twice while we're doing this and it's like, honey, stop it. I'll call you in a minute. <laughs> Very busy. Um, but the epitome of like, and I've always said this was the challenge of new managers, mm -hmm. that new managers came in and had this expectation that they were supposed to be perfect, that if their, um, you know, subordinate, their yeah, staff right. member brought them a document that they had to understand every statistic, every item, every item, and be able to be like, this is wrong, this is right, this is right, fix this, goodbye. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh. Hey, tell me a little bit more about this. I don't know what that means, or I don't understand this concept. Help me understand um, that they had to know all the answers and they had to, you know, redline it. You yeah. know, that same thing of the yeah. redline manager who adds periods and question marks, you know, to an entire deck. That was me when I first started being right? a manager. That's the value you think you can add because you think <laughs> you have to be perfect. Absolutely. I, I gave this book, or I recommended this book to a young man who's in... Uh, he was about to take his first leadership role. And I said, how did you like it? He goes, it wasn't that great. I said, oh, um, uh, tell me tell me what you thought. And he said, well, it's essentially just telling you to be human. And I thought, wow, I wonder if in order to read this book and have it resonate at all, you need to have tried and failed or tried and learned some lessons. Because if you have never been a leader, and you read these things and you go through those 10 things that say have hard conversations, hold people accountable, you know, and you're going to read it and go, uh-huh. Yeah. No, I mean, hold people accountable is the funniest thing in the world to me because people say it all the time, but I don't know that if I said to someone, I mean, I could say it to you, obviously, and you would know what the answer was, but what do you mean by hold someone accountable? Yeah. What does that sound like? What does that look like? What yeah. does that feel like? What does that... What do you say? What yeah. do you do? What does that mean? Yeah. We say these words all the time, and I don't feel like anyone actually says, like, hey, Peter, you said this was due on Tuesday, and it wasn't. And here was the impact to me. How are we going to fix that for next time? It's not appropriate or it's not acceptable. Exactly. If you do not deliver this item to me again on time. That's what accountability looks right? like. Right? 
but I think people just go like hold people accountable. It means you just need to check in. Peter, are you done? Peter, are you done? Peter, when are you going to get that to me? Peter, how are you doing on those yeah. TPS reports? Yeah. I noticed you didn't get the TPS report in on time, right? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Well, so those are the 10 um, gaps that they found in all this research for leaders around the world today. We could have written this book. Just kidding, <clears throat> Renee. We, could we love you. You're great. And, um, what, so the rest of the book takes and divides it up into what she classified as four skills that are measurable and you can literally measure. I would like to read, I haven't read the rest of the book, um, in detail yet either because I don't know how I would measure these things. So I can't wait to find out, uh, cause I skimmed a lot of it and now I have to go back. So the first, uh, there's four specific skills that if people worked on this, they would be able to address these 10 issues. The first one is rumbling with vulnerability. I think we've talked about that a little bit. Rumbling then means to... Let's um, get ready to <laughs> rumble! No, it doesn't. Oh. <laughs> well, it, as we've talked about, it means dealing, figuring it out. What does it mean to be vulnerable? How can you? How can being vulnerable help you be a leader? Do you go in and tell people your whole life history every day? No, you don't. But do you open yourself up to the difficult conversations? Yeah. Do you have them? Do you share stories of maybe when you may have messed up and to help other people know that you're not, you don't think you're Perfect. all. Yeah. Uh, the second one is um, braving trust. That will be really a cool topic for us to talk about because we teach about what trust is mm -hmm. and I want to see if it aligns. Yeah. The third one is living your values. I think that's an interesting one. Uh, it's like integrity. Integrity, yeah. And and um, more than that, you've it's it's like you take your mission statement or your value statement for the organization and then you add on to it integrity and honesty and all these other things. Yeah. So that's going to be neat. And the last one is learning to rise. How do you pick yourself up when things have gone poorly? Resilience. How do you come up, uh, how do you get above things that are difficult? How do you rise to the challenge? So those are the four different areas of the book. <clears throat> we will go, um, the first section is quite lengthy, I suspect because people really don't get vulnerability. Uh, I know for me it's hard to read it, I'm going to read it again, because like, like you say, it's, her language is different. I think her style of reading and writing is that she isn't going to handhold you to figure it out. She's gonna. She's writing in these concepts and theories, and she wants you to pull out of it what it means to you. Yeah. I would encourage you yeah. and everyone listening to go on to um, the website, BreneBrown.com, click the Dare to Lead uh, hub that's on the top, and do or the you can go to the leadership assessment. It will give you a preview of your own thoughts on how you handle these four skills and gap areas and what you do really well. And it will give you talking points for the rest of the book. Because she says in order to get better at these things, we have to number one, embrace the suck. It's hard, deal with it. We have to have self-awareness. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. And that courage is contagious. And that being a great leader. Another thing courage. we always talk about, yes. right? That, that concept, and we're not, like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just, I'm so pleased that the concepts that we seem to teach and seem to resonate most or we seem to mm -hmm. impact people the most are the ones that are being brought up as from a research perspective yes. there. Yes. Um, but this, we always talk about like not just walking the walk, talking the talk, mm -hmm. but that, um, what's that story I always used to tell of people going into line 
Oh, Do you remember yeah. this people story? People mimic the people that are around them. People mimic <clears throat> good behavior, but not bad behavior. Yeah. And so the more you can demonstrate courageous role model the behavior you want to see that people are going to copy it and that you're going to see more of it i think this is why so for people who do listen to us regularly or even if you don't um that's why this book is extremely popular Brene brown seems to be everywhere she's on all the talk shows now she has the netflix special oprah loves her oprah loves her um i heard her speak here in toronto last uh february 2018 it was mesmerizing um, was that at that conference I couldn't go to because I had the flu? The HR conference. Um, we use her videos now in some of our training, and they're all yeah. available online as well. And she just seemed to be, once I heard of her, I see her everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I wanted so to look. right now. That Hansel. Um, so I wanted to look at the book and see how it aligns or doesn't or gives us new thoughts and concepts mm-hmm. and new approaches. And something we're interested in doing um, is that... Uh, Brene Brown offers training on training this leadership style mm-hmm. to organizations. So that's something, yeah. So that's something we're looking into as well. We are. So it's uh, it may give us things we never thought about. It may challenge some of the ways we think about it, and it's one hundred percent a different way, written a different way. So yeah. we need to unpack it, unpack it, stick with it, try and see through it, and come up with our own conclusions, which I really think she wants us to do. She's, she doesn't want to give people all the answers. It's not, if you watch her first talk on this introduction section, it's like an eight minute video and people sent in questions. And like I said, the one guy that said, okay, this is great. I want to be a better manager. How do I start over? And she said, that's the easy route. Sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What I want you to do is rumble with what you're doing, what you have been doing. Yeah. And figure out what's not working for you. And what is working for you and how you can do better. Sorry, that's the hard way to do this. This is hard. That's the vulnerable way to do it. Yeah. To actually actually critique your own leadership style. That there's your self-awareness. There's your being vulnerable. No, don't let me tell you what to do. To throw it all out and now go to my page 487 and do these seven things. No. She doesn't do that. She's giving us concepts and we have to figure it out. Well, you can't. You can teach vulnerability, but you can't, you can't teach vulnerability. Do you know what I mean? Yes, you can talk like you about can it. teach the concept and you can talk about it. You can't necessarily teach someone to be vulnerable. They have to rumble with it themselves yeah. in order to feel what that feels like and yeah. be okay with it. Yeah. And I think your ultimate, like your end goal is to be like, oh, I was vulnerable yeah, the, you know, the sky, the sky didn't, didn't fall. fall. I didn't get fired. And now people uh, saw my that staff, you're My staff didn't <clears throat> disrespect me. In fact, they respected me more. Okay. Then do it again and go, ooh, that one didn't work as well. Okay, what happened there? And then just keep doing it over and over until you develop a pattern that says, oh, yeah, this works. Yeah. It's good for me. I like it. Let's keep doing it. Exactly. So that's what we're hoping to get from this. I think it's a great conversation, and it's not just us going through a book that we love and we understand and we're trying to sell to you as a way. It's it's us figuring it out along with people who are listening. Um, yeah. and so we, read along with us. So we're going to do – how many pages do people have to read for the next section? <clears throat> what, I will so tell you. Going from page the next 15. One, we're going to read part one, sections one and two. So part one begins on – Page. Can you hear the jingle bells? 
That's my dog with the poop. Christmas is coming. Page 19. To. Oh. I'm in the middle of section two on my second round. This one's more work, Nicole. That's okay because I'm audibling it. Well, all right, we'll see if that works. Did you know? I'll tell you this quick tip. Um, I, for a long time, thought that Audible was kind of like the cheap way to get out of reading. Oh, yeah. Um, and they say that um, hearing a book stimulates your brain in exactly the same way as reading it does. So I did not know that. do not feel that um, slash judge those who are audibling it. It's not a lesser, lesser form, lesser form of reading. It does exactly the same thing. I would say my only struggle with it is I'm usually doing it. I'm driving, and what I want to do is take some notes. Yeah. Um, so maybe I can pair my audible with doing it, you know, while I'm doing something else and be able to at least jot some notes. Sure. All right. So section one begins on page 19, and section two ends on page 69. So you, you need to read 50 pages before we do our next podcast. Okay, <clears throat> you don't have to do that, but we think it'd be valuable if you did. Yep, and also go online, as I mentioned, Brene Brown, B-R-E-N-E, brown.com. Click on Dare to Lead Hub. Look for the leadership assessment, the daring leadership assessment. Honestly, super private, and it takes three to five minutes at the most. And uh, I think it will help also guide your your, your understanding of this topic. Et voila. Et Season voilà. six, episode one. Ta-da, ta-da. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can find us on all the usual social media. Our website is whiteboardconsulting.ca. And this podcast will be available visually on YouTube by searching Whiteboard Consulting Group, Inc. Or if you want to read our blog that summarizes it, you can check out At The Whiteboard, a publication on medium.com. Finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at whiteboardconsulting.ca. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week.